Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, greetings wherever you are in the world. Thank you for tuning into the ProcureTech podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to address a bit of an elephant in the room. And that elephant, ladies and gentlemen, is as procurement professionals, we have a bit of an image problem. Yes, we all know this. We're often seen within certain businesses as being just someone that people go to when they've got a fire that needs putting out, rather than being a valued partner to the business that's seen as somebody or a function that drives real value. So we're going to tackle that perception in today's episode. And my guest who is going to join me to discuss this is somebody who has developed a tool to demonstrate and make more visible what we actually do and to get alignment on what we on what our activities are worth to any specific business. So in traditional terms, what I'm talking about here is savings, visibility and validation of what we do to reduce costs and expenses within the businesses that we serve. And I mean, I see it everywhere. And I know a lot of people that I talk to in this industry also say the same thing misalignment of business objectives between functions like operations and marketing and procurement is a bigger problem than we actually think it is. And it's often the reason why procurement and our stakeholders can have sort of more combative rather than collaborative relationships in many cases. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. And I think anyone that listens to this is going to take away a lot of value around what needs to be done in terms of alignment with stakeholders and having visibility of what constitutes a saving and how does it get measured and what can things like other factors that affect the business all wrap into this as a subject. So Pierre Lapré from Père Angusta, welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Thank you, James. Hello. So when I first discovered what this did, it kind of made me very happy uh, with the tool that you've developed because I've had this problem a lot of times throughout my career of really stakeholders not understanding what procurement really gives to the business other than being someone that they go to when they want to buy something. So I guess a good place to start would be, tell us a little bit about your journey of what took you from being a procurement director in the corporate world to to being an entrepreneur and, and, and SaaS startup. So my background, as you said, is um, in procurement as a practitioner. I started my career in IT procurement and I was looking after all of the IT procurement globally for a very large corporation. And I little by little moved to more general topics such as uh, CSR, uh, processes, performance, improvement, uh, and technology. We were a a small uh, corporate procurement team that was coordinating local procurement organization. And we were looking after people in 20 countries. At the time, procurement was not really seen as a strategic partner, and, and we tried to cope with the situation. Little by little, we 
basically put in place the methodology and the processes to work better and to work in a more structured way. We did opportunity assessment. We built sourcing roadmaps in which we would describe uh, all the projects that will be carried over throughout the year, who would do that, when. would also start putting some targets, some objectives in terms of value contribution. And one of the key things that we did there uh, was, A, to coordinate what different countries would do uh, so as to find synergies when it was possible, but also engage very early. When I mean early, it's at the beginning of the year when we were building the roadmap. We would engage with the business and finance. And we found that to be extremely effective in, in explaining to the people what we were doing and why we were doing this. So we did that for a few years. It was working very well, but we were doing that in an Excel file because we were not really recognized and we didn't have the, the capabilities to, to invest in, in technology. So yeah, it was pretty hand-driven process. And, and when we started to, to you know, find out that this was a limiting factor, we, we endeavored to find some technology. Uh, and we couldn't find anything. There were plenty of P2P solution. There were plenty of e-sourcing, spend analysis solution, but nothing to look after this very specific part of our activity that was managing our sourcing pipeline and measuring our performance. One thing leading to another and, and me being always a, a self-taught developer, I created what would become Perangusta and 18 months later, um, we basically did a spin-off uh, and and. There I went, I created Perangusta, and now I'm running the company as the, as the CEO. So procurement, I, I explained in the introduction as well, has a bit of an image problem within the business that everybody knows what sales does, everybody knows what HR does, everyone knows what manufacturing does, but procurement tends to have this image problem that we're seeing as, we're seeing as being either the policeman or, or someone that you go to when you have a crisis and you need somebody to help fix something with a supplier. So going back to what you were saying around creating visibility of initiatives and measuring performance, at its core, what procurement actually does in terms of the value that it delivers to the business is a key element of, of what Per Angusta does. But do you think it's it's a lack of visibility of what we do or do you think it's more just because the procurement function is still being seen as an administrative or reactionary function that people just go to in times of need rather than a trusted business partner? Do you think it's a little bit of both or do you think one is sort of a bigger factor than the other as to why we sometimes struggle to get momentum with our initiatives? So I believe it's it's a mix of both and, and one factor may outweigh the other, but it will depend on the organization. I would add to the typical image of procurement, the image of the cost killer, uh, you know, that barbarian that would only look after price and nothing else and would <laughs> not hesitate to twist their supplier's arm. And I think, well, this might sound cliche, but I believe that it's unfortunately true in a lot of, of organizations. So with that in mind, what we found out to be extremely effective at, at changing the perception is First, becoming a structured function. I mean, let's face it, procurement is a relatively young corporate function, maybe 40 years, compared to sales or HR or finance that, well, exist for as long as companies have existed. Procurement is still a bit immature, and maybe we don't have the same framework and, and standard KPIs than other functions might have. So you need to start with this. What's my operating model? 
how do I work? How do I structure my team? And how do I engage with the business? And you don't need technology for that. Uh, you need to understand how you can work and how your organization expects you to, to work. So start with this. And after all, it's a journey. And, and people expect you on the, the financial contribution. And I mean, it's fair enough. And I believe that a procurement uh, function should deliver some economic contribution. And again, we need to be smart about that. It's not only by banging a supplier's head against the wall that you will extract value. Uh, there are a lot more creative manners to, to do that. Use all these levers and, and you will deliver economic contribution. And, and I think it's key for this to be measured. And, and I think that raises a really good point as well, because as long as procurement are only measured on cost savings, that's always going to be front and center of the way they think. So I think this transition from just being someone that goes after a lowest price solution to being a value partner for the business, I think needs to really generate the conversation within these large organizations of, well, yes, cost savings will always be a part of that, but the other value that procurement delivers, that's just as important. And you know, if we're looking at total cost or if we're looking at maybe paying a bit more for something, but but it lasts longer, the whole reporting structure and the way that objectives are set needs to be aligned to that because otherwise, you know, stupid policies create stupid people ultimately. And lots of organizations have got different ways of measuring savings or maybe performance is the better word. You raised a good point there when you said that at the very, very start, the whole process starts with people, really, because you you have to have alignment between, well, certainly between procurement and finance, but ideally between you know procurement and the whole rest of the organization of what is considered an, an objective, and and not only that, but what is what is officially measured as a saving that can somehow be seen on the bottom line, whether it be through better operational performance in, man, in, in manufacturing or, or, through, or through the P&L when, when the CFO looks at, look, looks at an income statement. So again, you, you need to have a, a multifaceted approach, I would say. So clearly, if you want to measure performance, you need to agree on, on the rules of the game. And that has to be done with finance. We have clients who surprisingly only look at impact on the PNL. And I think this is not only limited, but also dangerous because if the only measure of your contribution is looking at the PNL impact, it drives bad behaviors in the long term and, and more importantly, unsustainable behaviors. So I'm a big proponent of always looking at cost avoidance. And cost avoidance should be taken as what they are, an avoidance, of course. So yeah, they will be extremely hard to track but ultimately, I'm not sure you care. You need to have a common understanding with finance that if you take, I don't know, the, the first offer of the selected supplier as a baseline and, and you measure the saving as the, or the contribution as the difference with the last offer, I mean, this will be wrong in 90% of the cases. But if you agree on that, that will be fine. I, I often use the, the metaphor of a body scale. If I jump on my body scale, it tells me I'm, I'm weighing 500 kilograms. I know it will be wrong. But if in six months I do the same thing and it tells me I weigh only 400 kilograms, it will still be wrong. But at least I now have a trend and I know I'm doing the right thing and I'm going in the right direction. Financial contribution for procurement, in particular with cost avoidance, is exactly the same. 
you can argue for a very long time with a lot of people on, on whether or not this cost avoidance exists or not. We don't care. We just need to make sure we're doing the right thing and that, that we ultimately believe that procurement has, has brought some form of financial contribution and did that for the greater good of the company. And I think this is even more important as this is a first step. You will start somehow luring people with money. Hey, I've saved you half a million quids on that. Talk to me next time. And, and people will come back because, yeah, that's good for them. They can either save the money, cut the budget if you're the CFO, or achieve a lot more with the same budget when you look at it from the, from the stakeholder's perspective. But there's something in it for them. And the next time, you will bring maybe a bit less money, but you will bring something else. And, and you will bring contractual safety that, that protects the stakeholder in case the activity doesn't go as planned. And, and ultimately, you can go back to the supplier and say, I'm sorry, that commitment actually is not a commitment, and, and that's fine. And, and when you save the day for the stakeholder, they are extremely grateful. And, and, and little by little, they start realizing that you're helping them achieve more with the same budget. You help them avoid bad situations uh, when it comes to contract. And they will also realize that you're actually talking about the dirty topics, money. And then with the vendor, they can only focus on the operational thing. So by having this kind of segregation of, of duties, you're also making their day-to-day -day life easier with their suppliers because they only talk about the fancy stuff and the bad things like money. It's not their job, it's procurement job. So ultimately, you need to find what's in it for your stakeholders and with finance. And you need to design your organizational structure and, and your organizational policies and methodologies around that. And, and once you do that, you have alignment. And I think when we talk about cost avoidance or even you know total cost of operation or total cost of ownership, while individual stakeholders are usually very grateful of procurement's contribution for the you know for the one or two orders that they that 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 they've helped them with showing a more holistic picture of all of these little small wins that procurement does every single day the cfo or finance doesn't necessarily see it on the bottom line but it's a bit like saying well okay if if finance are not going to recognize cost avoidance or don't really see it as a as a true saving then why do you need capex buyers because anyone that purchases capex all that they do is cost avoidance. I mean, that's not a bottom line saving. You have a CapEx budget and a CapEx procurement manager or buyer will go in and, and reduce the initial quotation for the machinery or equipment down or for a construction down from, from the three, four bids that they received. So if you take that down to a very micro level, if you're looking at day-to-day -day spend on, on, on things like facilities or maintenance, it's exactly the same argument there. But, and yet in many businesses, they just don't, sort of match the two together and see that it's we're talking about the same thing. You said that originally you had an a sort of Excel-based savings reporting system. And in all honesty, I think a lot of businesses still do, even even a lot of the bigger ones. With what you've developed with Per Angusta, does that have the facility to be able to show visibility and validation of things like cost avoidance or, or operational savings? You know, if, if you're spending a little bit more to have a higher quality spare part or piece of machinery, but it provides, you know, one or two percent extra operational efficiency, is there a way that you can measure and align on that with stakeholders through that tool? Yes, and, and that's a very key aspect. And again, it generally boils down to transparency. And the idea of transparency is that we, we often see companies who track savings. 
So ultimately, when they're done with the negotiation, they add a line in an Excel file. And so basically, they're saying, hey, that's what I've achieved. And when this happens, all too often, in my opinion, you always face the situation of, of this, the, the, the CFO or, or the finance people disagreeing with you, saying, but what are you claiming 100,000 euros of savings on a million of, of baseline? Because the baseline is not 1 million. Well, my friend, it's too late. Uh, so you have... Uh, misalignment and you have no way of fixing this. So what we promote and propose all the time is you should be starting to track things at the ideation level. So, hey, this is what we may or that we are going to do. And that's the starting point. That's my baseline. And and that's the ambition. And possibly this is the kind of contribution we're expecting. And we encourage, we push our clients to ensure that there is a some form of oversight of or, or approval at that stage. Because if you identify the project, go to finance and say, hey, that's the playground. That's the ambition. Do you agree? If finance agrees, well, you can keep track of that. And, and down the road, when you claim the savings, there's no more argument on the baseline. And if finance doesn't agree, well, that's an excellent opportunity to have a good conversation and understand why you're disagreeing. Does someone doesn't have the right numbers or do you agree on, on simply the, the way of thinking of that baseline? And, and that's how you will further strengthen your, uh, your alignment with finance. And the good thing about that is maybe in the first six months, you will have a lot of these conversations uh, and, and later on, you will no longer have them because you've built a common understanding and, and mutual understanding of how we should measure procurement performance. And the best part in that is when you no longer need to talk about the reality of a saving or the validity of a baseline, well, it frees up a lot of time to discuss about much more interesting topics, like how can we influence demand, demand, or, or shall we go on the market to try and, and, and find innovation from our supplier? So all these nitty-gritty details and, and uh, to be honest, sometimes beans-counting aspects, uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we hope we somehow make them front and center so that you no longer have to talk about that. So we start from that. We ensure that we track the numbers, we align on the numbers so that we no longer have to think about the numbers. And once you know that the numbers in there, they are trustworthy, again, you can have much more meaningful conversation. And, and that's the key because ultimately, as you say, that's where you can start thinking about twisting the model. Okay, so if we apply the methodology as it is written, we believe it's not a fair representation of our work. So you can start discussing with finance on, okay, we believe a TCO approach would be much more meaningful. And, and so that means adjusting the baseline in this and that way. If finance agrees, you win. You win because you will track the right numbers. You will add transparency in the project. Uh, and at the end, when you claim the numbers, nobody will dispute them. So it's only positive. So whereas previously procurement would have reported a saving after the fact, what Per Angusta allows you to do electronically, I mean, theoretically, you could do it in Excel as well, but what Per Angusta allows you to do electronically is to give visibility to all stakeholders at a project's inception and then have sort of a time-stamped or a documented alignment around you know, what should procurement's pro- um, contribution to the project be, what will be considered sort of overperformance if it's a one-time buy rather than a recurring purchase. And it allows you then to capture more initiatives rather than just the typical bottom line purchase price variance for things like raw materials and repeatable spend. Exactly. And, and 
so typically the cost avoidance thing are, are important because I don't know, as a buyer, maybe half of my time was on, on cost avoidance related activities. Yeah, and mine too. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you don't measure that, true story, the CFO came to my boss's office and said, hey, we need, to, we need to reduce the headcount. So who can you fire in your team? And my boss at the time went through the list and, and explained to the CFO, well, these people bring six to 10 times their salary or their cost in contribution, some of which you might see, some of which you, you don't see. But believe me, if they were not bringing home the cost avoidance, you would see that in your PNL, but maybe not in the column you expect uh, because cost avoidance, procurement is not there to deliver on the cost avoidance. Well, you will find them in the L part of your PNL statement. And you're completely right. I mean, I, I always think back to maintenance spend. And if, if you don't have procurement professionals helping to negotiate one-time purchases on maintenance spend, then all of those little jobs that the business is able to undertake because the budget goes that little bit further would would then start to stack up and then you will have machinery breaking down you will have you will have buildings that are falling down and getting into a bad state of repair because you're you're able to purchase less with the budget that you have if you don't have a procurement person you know negotiating each quote i mean okay obviously if you're buying something for a hundred dollars you're not going to go and negotiate that i mean it costs more in employing someone to call the supplier than what you would save but you know above a certain threshold it really does make economic sense but often like like what you said in your example the cfo you know looking in a very black and white way may not see it in his numbers or her numbers exactly if you're not talking to these people they will never understand so yeah get out of your office and have the conversation you will get challenged that's good but procurement cannot exist in a vacuum by essence we are a connected function what i often say is that we are the interface between the outside world and the and the internal needs and if we're completely unable to speak to our colleagues, I mean, what good can we do on the market? Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, talk, get out of the office, get out of the building and, and talk to people. Uh, and ultimately, you might, be, you might be surprised of what you learn or, or what you teach them uh, and, and what comes out of the conversation. So, yeah, always good to have a conversation. So my final question, Pierre, is what level of importance do you put on data that's actually being fed into into the system? You know, whether you're using an Excel-based system or or whether you're using an electronic tool to, to monitor performance such as Pierre Angusta, is data quality imperative to make sure that you get good results from it? So I, I will start with a commonplace with this garbage in, garbage out thing. Uh, that everybody says and knows, but that's true, unfortunately. So you cannot do anything if you have crappy data and, and crappy data needs care. So I think that a lot of organizations would benefit in investing in, in data stewardship. And so having people in charge of data, making sure that when you ingest data, it's clean and, and consistent and people who know how to deal with data to report on that because otherwise it, it's useless. And also making sure that if you have if if you have a procurement organization across several countries, like you, you said with your example with Adeco, you had buyers in I think you said twenty different countries. They all need to make sure that they're reporting to the same standards, especially if you're reporting savings that are not that are not directly visible to the PL. There has to be a common reporting standard. Otherwise you're gonna have one buyer that looks like the hero and, and another one that may that may look like they're under 
are performing, but in reality, they're not. They're just using a different mechanism. Yes, and that's very important because Per Angusta, like any other system, it shouldn't be a, a black box. I mean, if people enter data into a system, someone needs to make sure that it's okay, follows the guidelines, it follows the policies, it's, it's clean. You may see this as, as a sunk cost, but believe working on a, on a project, I don't know, you are going to renegotiate 5,000 pieces. Getting spent information uh, from another system would be interesting, but you would still have to somehow massage data because the last pieces were bought three years ago. So last year's spent information is virtually useless or, or very partial. And, and we see that with pretty much everything. Previous year's spend is interesting, but you cannot take it at, at face value because the consumption last year might be different from the consumption next year. Market may change. So it, it's good to have this data readily available and we integrate with a few vendors for that. But, you know, it's not press the button, import the spend button and you're done. No, exactly. It's a, it's a good guideline, but it will never be a single source of truth for reasons that you mentioned. And also things just like inflation and commodity pricing. It's uh, it's always a good guideline, but it, it can never be used as the only solution. Or if it is, then I would respectfully say that, that your finance department are not really observing the reality of what's going on in the market. Exactly. And so we believe that believing that pulling data from another system and you're done would be wrong. And, and that would be somehow an offense to the intelligence of a buyer. We need to ensure that buyers who are educated people use their brain and, and have a critical eye on the data and make sure that whatever they put in their system makes sense. And to do that, pulling data from various sources is important uh, because that's the difficulty we find a lot is people need to jump through five different systems to get a holistic view of a supplier. So that's why we've started integrating with a lot of solutions. And because it's a standalone piece of software, it sits in the cloud, right? So, I mean, it doesn't require weeks and weeks of implementation and IT resource. It, it's something that, as I understand it, just from reading your website, it's it's something that can that can go hand in hand with a with a large sort of e enterprise level ERP system. So, if you want to use Perangusta to measure procurement performance, and then you have another module that does contract management or spend analysis, so you can you can kind of use them all together um, individually without having to without having to integrate them all into your ERP. Exactly. And I'm a big fan of open platforms and, and that's what we are. So concretely, it means that you can start standalone. Our fastest implementation was in half a day in a, in a company that had 100 buyers in 14 countries. Half a day. That's wow. all it took. And, and then you can start plugging things. We're integrated with uh, almost 20 different solutions and content providers right now. And, and I mean, this is easy because it's almost like an app store. Go to the admin, flip the switch on something, put your credentials and you're done. We do that a lot, especially with e-sourcing solutions. So you have a pipeline of 100 projects and out of there, maybe 30 will go through an online auction and, and, and 20 will go through a standard online Big. RFP and the rest will be handled differently. But at least you have the, the visibility over 100% of your pipeline and for the projects that require a more specific or specialized solution, you can somehow punch out to those solutions from Perangusta to avoid double entry of data and then get back the result. And, and I believe this is 
the future of procurement technology. If anyone would like to find out more about Per Hangusta or perhaps book a demo and, and see how it works in real time, uh, in real life, what's the best way to connect with you or to connect with your company? So connect with me would be on LinkedIn and I would be more than happy to, to do that. Um, otherwise, yeah, the best source of information is our LinkedIn page and, and our website, per-angusta.com. That's the easy way, the easiest way to find us. And, and you will also most likely find us in in many procurement conferences as long as soon as we are able again to travel. <laughs> exactly. And you're, you're active in both Europe and North America? Uh, yeah, we actually have clients in 12 countries, um, mostly Europe, Dubai, the US. We have users in 96 countries. Fantastic. Okay, Pierre, this was a wealth of information. And for anyone out there who's maybe struggling to get recognition or to raise your image within your organization, if you're listening to this and this is a problem you're suffering with, then go and speak to your procurement leadership in your organization and align on how savings and performance is measured and get your stakeholders involved to get a clear understanding of what their expectations are as well and align together with your finance people around what constitutes a saving, what contributes, uh, what constitutes a contribution and how that can holistically be measured so as everyone is aware that what you do is not just firefighting and chasing up orders and invoices all day. So Pierre, thanks again. Take care and would love to keep in touch. Speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me, James. Bye. So that wraps up a very interesting discussion around the total value that procurement teams can deliver to an organization beyond just the typical purchase price variance or standard cost variance cost savings that are typically sort of associated with direct materials. So fantastic conversation with Pierre. And obviously, if you're interested in implementing a solution that can measure that, then his tool Pear Angusta is a great place to start. Just one quick one before I sign off. If you're grappling with not really knowing what's out there in terms of technology and how it could help you, if you're at the very beginning of conceptualization for a digital procurement transformation, then why not book a quick 30-minute free call with me to just run over a couple of ideas and so as I can let you know some of the tips and tricks about where to start and what's out there and what different tools can help you depending on what you want to achieve from your transformation. Just check out the link in the show notes or go to bookme.name forward slash James Meads, all one word. M-E-A-D-S is my last name. And that will take you to my booking page where you can schedule a call. Thanks again for listening. Take care and bye for now. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation. Music